Hello, and welcome to another week of Crime at the Family Table. We missed you guys last week, uh, but we needed to take a little break, but we're back, and we have a juicy story for you today. Um, I'm joined by my good friend, LaTanya. Hey, LaTanya. Hey, girl. I missed you. It's been a week too long. Right? Like, it feels like once a week goes by, we're completely like on edge again like it's like first episode all over but we're definitely excited to be back uh so this week's episode is about the kensington strangler and i'm actually really interested in this story because i remember it because it didn't happen it didn't happen that long ago so you ready yeah i'm ready uh, I'm ready. Uh, one of the things I definitely wanted to get into about this episode was it happened in Philly. Like we're both um, born and raised Philly girls. So we, her, when this case happened, I was in high school. Like I was in, I would say, was I in? I was thinking I was in my 11th grade year and it was like crazy. It was all over the news. Like it was everything everybody talked about. At that time, Mayor Nutter was in office and like his thing was stay vigilant, stay safe and his goofy looking self. And, <laughs> and it was just something that kind of permeated Philadelphia because, you know, when you think of people like the kids in the strangler you think of New York, you think of LA, like Philadelphia, like we don't talk about um serial rapists and serial killers like that and that was like the first that was like our generation's big like serial killer like my mom had hers our grandmother probably had theirs like so this was kind of crazy to see you said you were in high school in 2011 I was about to graduate college I think I was in my junior year of college and I was like ah Listen, a young whippersnapper we were, girl, like young and taut. Listen, I could finally get into the bars, but that's another story. So, girl, I was baby facing in a school uniform, okay, like dicky pants and like a white shirt with an emblem on it. Yes, girl, it was the ghetto and the weaves wasn't weaving, the hair wasn't hearing, there was no makeup contouring, baby, it was, it was rough. Maybe it was rough. I did not have eyebrows at that time. <laughs> so. Girl, neither did I. Neither did I. We didn't know about these things. Anastasia Browiz was not a thing. I think, honestly, <laughs> the life before Anastasia um, Browiz was kind of maybe the best era because Anastasia had people with, we went from no brows to brick brows. Oh my God, the Sharpie brows. Oh, baby. Oh, it was dark. It was dark times. All right. One of the big things that anyone who's been in Philadelphia for any extended period of time will tell you is stay away from Kensington, especially after dark. Kensington or Little Amsterdam, as me and my juvenile friends called it, was a part of Philadelphia that was no man's land and a place of lawlessness and general bedlam, if to say the least. The 2010 was especially heinous. 2010 held a lot of sorrow, especially for three families. Um, they had to experience loss contributed by the Kensington Strangler. One of the biggest things that I think went on at that time was this, his crimes shut, shut a light on the, the, really the lawlessness that was going on in the area that the Kensington Strangler really showed the lack of care given to that section of Philadelphia, the um, like a protection that a certain population was receiving in that area and a general sense of unsafety that had been unearthed 
at, at that time. So let's get into it. November 3rd, 2010, Elaine Goldberg was looking for a party. She was trying to find a Halloween party. Um, the night before she had, you know, she had been, um, she had been 30 days clean from her addiction. She has actually lived up in like the Northeast section and she was looking for like a drug-free, alcohol-free party to kind of celebrate because Halloween had just passed there earlier that week and she really wanted to go out and have a good time. Um, sadly, that would not be the case for Elaine. So um, Elaine was found November 3rd um, in the morning hours in a lot area that was completely disgusting to say the least um she was found bludgeoned um half naked and strangled she was left there discarded like a piece of trash um officers that have found elaine's body in this area um can attest to the disgusting um area in which she was left in um one of the officers even commented to um, a police officer that was going through the crime scene to look through, um, look for evidence to be careful of that over there. Careful where you step because that ain't mud on the ground. Um, pretty much commenting that there's just human human feces there. There is needles and and glass and just complete disgustingness. Like she was, she was just found tossed in this area. Um, this wasn't the first case that the police had heard of in recent um, time of someone that had been coming out into this area, had been attacking women and attempting or fully assaulting them, strangling them, and some of them have been getting away. But um, at this time, police could not did not have the connection that this was connected to any of those other cases. They actually didn't even think about. It. They just thought that this was just another, another murder, another loss. To the Kensington streets, they thought that um, Elaine was most likely just another addict. They had got caught up um, prostituting and um, just ended up murdered because. Usually at nighttime, you, you'll you find in the Kensington area, not just um, people that are addicted to all types of drugs and alcohol. The prostitution was very rampant there to support those habits. Not 10 days later, another woman's body was found. Her name was... Her name was Nicole... Uh, and I'm sorry if I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Hyacinth... Tina. She's 35 years old and she was considered like a veteran prostitute at, in that area. So pretty much she is known around the way as being a prostitute. She has been a lifetime on drugs um, through most of her life and she had been found in an abandoned house in the Kensington section. Her body found in a similar state as Elaine, half naked, strangled, and bludgeoned. The police still at this time had, had not thought that this was a pattern, had not even thought about the connection that she potentially had to Elaine. Um, even though it was, um, they were hearing about like that things were going on, that the um, area just wasn't safe, that, oh, like other women had come up and, but, you know, one of the women that was interviewed um, by a journalist found that, even when you report to the police, it wouldn't matter. They would not have made the connection or maybe even cared to make the connection. Police were not known to take people that lived in that area um, or even like worked the area seriously. Um, one of um, the women, a long time prostitute in the area, her name was Patty. She was interviewed and she said, you know, police don't do nothing. Um, you tell them something, they find out what you did, they're going to send you off. They're going to send you away and you're just never going to be heard. Or you go to the Vice. Vice is, um, they handle the uh, narcotics and um, 
the narcotics that's going on in the area. Um, she was she's quoted as saying they'll either ask you for a blowjob or try to lock you up for being on drugs. So there is no sense of protection and safety. Um, someone who spoke very highly of Nicole was a woman by the name of Kat, who basically expressed that Nicole, like many of the women that worked um, the area of Kensington known as the Stroll, um, contested that she was a good person. She would look out for her, um, for the other girls that worked the area, and they would look out for each other and make sure that, you know, everything was good. Like, one of the systems that they had in place was, hey, like, if you have a bad, um, they call them the dates, or like, with a John, a John is somebody who is, you know, like a John Doe. Like somebody is procuring your services as a prostitute. And I'm sure people have heard about it from movies and TV shows. That if you ever had a bad date with a John, they would take down license plates. And they have like a system that will work for them where they would keep that information and just make sure that, hey, like stay away from this car. Like don't get into this car if you see them. Stay away from them because they're beating you up or they're potentially assaulting you. Like they looked out for each other. But something was different about um, November November 12th. Nicole did not go on a, a pretty average date with a client um, on this date. Um, she actually was seen going on what's called a walking date. A walking date is where you, a John will come up to you on the street and walk off with you to... Um, to go where they want to go they use this makes it hard because basically they can trap you into tight quarters and like an alleyway or something and that is something that is pretty common like they can get you into tight spaces and it's hard and they can be really up on you it's like like you're in a car and you can jump out there like in your personal space so it's a little difficult um and it creates a really dangerous situation and sadly Nicole succumbed to a situation such as this. Um, even at this time, they still had not yet um, linked the women um, yet to each other. Um, there was DNA that was found at both women's sightings and they knew that something was going on in the Kensington area, but it, it really wasn't until um, a woman on November 28th was attacked by an individual um, that had a box cutter and was trying to threaten her by dragging her into a vacant um, lot that survived through screaming and um, running from the assailant that they felt like, okay, this is something that we need to check into. And this is something that really should be taken seriously. And they pretty much everybody at this time was looking at the news and you could see that they were talking about stay in, stay vigilant, don't go out. They were even telling women, hey, if you're working the area, don't maybe work um, at this like at night or whatever, like stay in, stay vigilant because he is um, being seen, he's being seen as um, someone that is very dangerous. So the same night that um, this happened, a man named um, Noel Quintana was um, arrested um, in connection with the attack of the, uh, attack of the woman um, that survived on the 28th. And he was found a few blocks from what had happened. And he, basically, he was arrested. Um, we'll come back to him in a little bit, but now, even though it's crazy, because this man, Noel, is actually not the Kensington Strangler at all. They they have actual DNA of the Kensington Strangler on record, but they have not yet connected to him because he is basically in a pile of thousands of other men that are um, already in the database and also the hundreds of men that they've been testing to figure out um, who the Kensington Strangler is. Um, Sadly, they could not make this DNA connection before her. Um, Casey Mahoney was found strangled and sexually assaulted like um, Elaine and Nicole. Sadly, she was found in the same exact state as them. Casey was trying to get her life together, much like um, Elaine was. Elaine 
was, you know, trying like, like I said, thirty days uh, sober, and she was, she had wrote on um her social media like, hey, like thirty days, like she, she was really trying, putting in a good effort, and Casey, like a week before she was found on the fifteenth, had um, uh, been taken to detox, so. But sadly, you know, as people know that have ever dealt with addiction, there's these ups and downs, these these highs and lows, and you may want to go to detox this day or get rehab and get help, and you might it may not stick. So sadly, even though it wasn't known that she even knew about the Kensington Strangler or, you know, to be on the lookout, she knew the dangers of the street. So she had talked about to her best friend who had taken her to detox, like I already been raped and she had bruises and bumps and scars and bumps and all types of things on her skin from just life on the street. Um, Casey Mahoney was actually only 27 years old when she was um, murdered. And it's sad to say that like she looked way older than she was. And this was after years and years of um, of drug uh, dependency ever since she was a teenager. And she was actually one of the only ones um, of the victims that wasn't originally from the Philadelphia area. She's actually originally from North Carolina, moved up in like the Scranton area, and then, you know, kind of made her way as you do down into the um, Philadelphia area. And as people know, it doesn't really take much for drugs to kind of find you. People kind of leech after you and they, you know, look for you and they kind of find you and they, and life, that kind of lifestyle just sucks you in. She had been in rehab multiple times, um, in and out. She, you know, she leaves a son who at the time is, was in East Stroudsburg with, with her, uh, with his dad and, um, the paternal grandmother living and it's really sad because each of these women had a story had a family had friends who really cared about them and who could vouch for um the love that they had in this world and sadly it was far too late um to save them because this 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 person decided that their lives just weren't keeping. Um, one of the things like I want to repeat is that Elaine at this time was not in the Kensington area for drugs of any kind. And I don't even think it matters. Like, even if you're on drugs, it shouldn't fucking matter. Like you should be cared about your case should be investigated. But during the time of the case, like it was people that were saying, well, why was she there? Duh, duh, duh. But like people live in Kensington, people live in the Northeast and they live around that area and they're not on drugs. And she, like her friends and family said, like she was looking for like a party to go to or something to do like for the weekend. Like it wasn't something that like she was trying to find drugs or any kind, but she was just looking to have fun. And this man just used a crime of opportunity and she was in the wrong place at the wrong time and met an unfortunate fate. Um, during this, during the um, time of Elaine and Nicole's case, there was a composite sketch made of um, the Kensington Strangler. He was um, noted to be a light-skinned man um, of Spanish descent, which is the reason why, um, one of the reasons why Noel Quintina um, was apprehended because he did kind of match the composite sketch and description given um, by, you know, by previous victims. And however, he wasn't the Kensington Strangler at all. Like that he had in no way, shape or form been involved in the trial. However, uh, even after the Kensington Strangler leader was caught, he wasn't um, acquitted until 2014. And it is unknown um, where he is today, but in 2014, he did, um, I mean, in 2017, he did uh, try to sue um, Philadelphia Correctionals, um, Corrections, Probation and Parole Board, uh, Philadelphia Officers and Prosecutors, also named specific um, officers involved in his lawsuit, 
um, for his treatment, unfair treatment, and for just, like, the mistaken identity and, like, what that led to in his life, because I'm pretty sure that he could have lost job opportunities, life, when you just have your, your name plastered with a rapist and a murderer. It's never a good thing to, you know, just have your name just dragged through the mud. It took until January of 2011 for the real Kensington Strangler to be identified. And he didn't really match the composite sketch at all. Um, his name was um, Antonio Rodriguez, um, a 23-year-old man who was basically a vagrant, homeless, kind of living in abandoned houses. Um, his DNA was on record because he had recently, in 2010, um, August of 2010, um, gotten released for for drug charges. And in October, he had basically put his DNA in CODIS. Um, basically, if he ever had committed a crime, violent or otherwise, that he needs to be connected to, his, his DNA will always be in CODIS. And that is the purpose of CODIS, to have your DNA um, on file in case they need to connect you later down the line to to a crime. He has some understanding of that because it is noted that during one of his murders, he did wear um, murders and rapes. He did wear a condom, but he did leave that condom in the area. So he was, so he was kind of understanding of his DNA, but he also kind of didn't care. Like his DNA was all over the victims anyway. And when asked why he committed the crimes that he did, he kind of said, kind of just happened. Um, Antonio was a crime a person that used a crime of opportunity. Um, but like I said, he really didn't look anything like the composite sketch. Um, Antonio was a dark-skinned um, uh, Afro-Latino man. Um, he actually had a very distinctive scar that went from his ear down to the center of his neck um, that wouldn't be noticeable if it's at dark. Um, and he definitely just did not look like the man that was described um, from um, people who had uh, potentially seen um, the Kingston Strangler, who said that he was like a light-skinned Hispanic male. Um, Antonio did speak Spanish, though, so it is believed that that is essentially what kind of led down to that Spanish-speaking trail. Like, he did speak Spanish to um, some of the victims that had gotten away. Um, and that's where, like, the Spanish-speaking and also the Spanish-speaking that he has said, because other prostitutes in the area or and people passing, um, another prostitute in the area when he had picked up Nicole basically said, like, oh, like, I, you know, saw him, and that's, like, who I saw, like, and she was one of those people that gave, that, um, corroborated the sketch of him. Um, but as you're going to find out, we're going to go over this in the future, is that uh, witness testimony is not always good. Eyewitness testimony, it, even though it's the most commonly used um, form of evidence, is actually one of the least reliable. Your memory can be um, faulty. Like, your mem we're, we can go into a whole episode about, like, memory and things like that, but we'll save that for another time. But just know, like, eyewitness testimony is something that is very sketchy because things change. You're, you can be adding details, um, taking away details um, that you may not even realize you're doing because you may actually believe um, that what you're saying um, is matching, but it might not. You could be remembering somebody from days prior, or you could be making up details due to certain things. Like, for example, if in your mind you have a specific bias that Spanish-speaking people are light-skinned or are and or Hispanic people, and then you you so for like yeah, like I said, um, if you have this um, bias in your mind that someone that is Spanish speaking is Hispanic or Latino and only Hispanic and Latino people are light skinned, you may put those type of characteristics in your brain and take away parts that don't correlate with your um, bias that you already have. And that is why like memory can kind of be one of those things that's faulty. And then you put in the fact that people being um, it being dark, um, time when testimony is taken, um, drugs or alcohol consumed by the person, um, 
and so many other factors that could contribute to misidentification. So um, he did go to trial. Um, he was charged with um, deviant acts, um, involuntary acts, uh, three counts of murder, as well as um, uh, abuse of a corpse. A big thing to have to do with abuse of a corpse was the fact that um, Antonio had admitted that he actually had sex with a few of the corpses. Um, and yeah, like that's, so there's some necrophilia there, but Antonio was not the type of person that I would say is, um, he's not a necrophile by trade. He's a person of crime opportunity. And he was basically, I think, testing out where he was going because it started out with him doing the assaults, the choking and things like that. And then he escalated. And I think he just was escalating into more deviancy and the worse he could get. Um, there's also understanding that Antonio this has suffered from long since of um, mental health diagnoses and um, other factors that um, contributed to a lot of his criminality in his life. But this does not absolve him of any of the things that he has done. Something that I would like to end off with telling this case is, is from the judge that presided over his trial um, was that you not only violated these women while they were alive, you violated them while they were dead. You didn't even give them peace. Antonio was sentenced to three life um, terms um, and he is currently serving them right now. He is um, um, currently incarcerated in Pennsylvania prison and yeah, like that's pretty much the case of the Kensington Strangler. We all like to think of people that deal with addiction and maybe living a lifestyle that we may not in society be okay with in a sense, like prostitution, sex, like any type of sex work or addiction. We all like, like people be like, oh, stink face. And I remember there was a time where I like, during when this was happening, looked at these victims like, well, they shouldn't be prostituting. And now that I know better and, and, and I have like a freaking brain of an adult, I recognize that these are victims of circumstance. Like addiction is one of those things people be like, oh, it's a choice. Like, yes, in the sense, like, quote unquote, it is a choice, but it's like your brain is now rehardwired and you mm -hmm. have to figure Literally. it out. Right. And so these are women who were not necessarily, they're just trying to figure it out. And like you, as you see with Elaine's situation, like she's a nursing student. She's trying to live her regular everyday life. And this is also a part of her life that she keeps kind of hidden and it kind of becomes her end. And, um, and, it, and so often these women and men in these situations just go unthought about and they become, they become easy prey to these sexual and violent people who wish to harm them. Like it, Antonio is not the first nor the last um, person that has sought out prostitutes to do just unexplainable things because they don't consider them human. There has to be an understanding that they don't see them as human. And then to couple that with the fact that people in regular society generally don't deem them as human. The dehumanization happens full circle. Where's the justice that they can receive? That's so sad. I used to be one of those people too who turned my nose up at like sex workers and uh, drug addicts, but living life and having experiences certain experiences as an adult you really start to understand it's not that cut and dry of like oh you chose this life you chose to do that like yes it is a choice but like addiction is a disease um some people choose to be sex workers like strippers that I, I there's a, quite a few women who have said like it's fun i, I feel empowered i feel you know like i have control over in myself my body 
Mm-hmm. And those and a lot of the times we don't also realize that women who are sex workers, mainly prostitutes, some of them have been sex trafficked. Yeah. And are just caught in that manipulation like mind cycle. There mm-hmm. are women who were sexually abused who that kind of it kind of trickles into into that and again with that viewing life from a a smudged or dirty lens Mm -hmm. you start to like devalue yourself in a way Mm -hmm. or certain and certain things just become normal like if your mama was a prostitute and you saw her getting her money that way you might be like oh okay right (laughs) this is the way i'm gonna make my coins and if you are someone who is lives in kensington this is a common sight like I remember like I think it was last summer the summer before last it was a young girl from New Jersey that was like her mom said like she's missing and she was found in like the Frankfurt Kensington area like with her girlfriend on the street all day and it's like people believe that she was getting into prostituting and the thing about it is it's so simple because like that's something that can happen like you get into this thing with your friends or you get into it out of this kind of just sight and just trying to think about it's quick money and it's like it's crazy like sex workers should be protected like sex work is real work like you bring your body so do labor every day every day you do labor and you get paid and and so like this is just using another part of your body to get the job done and keep the bills paid and pay for your things. So if we had a culture of people that were more so protecting sex workers and making them feel safe and it wasn't criminalized for them to do the acts of the sex, like they would feel protected and they would feel like they could report it without being. So the problem is, is that when you have sex workers that are assaulted, if they go up and say that they were assaulted during the course of their occupation, there's not many people that can say like, if I was victimized in my occupation, that the police look at me like, well, how for that's your fault? Like, I think it's like mostly addiction and prostitution where that is just what they just consider like, oh, well, that's just what you, that's just the name of the game. That's just the kind of the problems you take on when you are in this role. So it's one of those things where you have to say to yourself, it doesn't matter how you personally feel about the right or wrongness of what they're doing. Protection and cared for is just a human thing. You need to care for these people. You need to take care of them in a society. We cannot just allow them to be bodies and numbers in a log book. They have thrown away. Thrown away. Just the just the dispensables in our society because they're not dispensable. These people are human beings like we 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 always like to take people's capital on and their viability of their connection to others and their what they do for society and my whole thing is it doesn't matter you're born into this world you have you you matter you, you matter just for the simple fact that you exist and your connection or what you do for people or what people deem as a good job or a good whatever is whatever like you should matter and these people should not begin taking advantage of by people that are procuring their services and by the people that are sworn in to protect and serve like I don't care what no one says I 1000% believe um sex workers who come up and say that police officers are taking advantage of them while they are on the job because there is no oversight they are allowed to go into these communities and sit up here and say to themselves, like, no one cares. They understand the power that they hold in these situations and they take advantage of these men and women. And they do it and they do it and they do it and they think of it themselves and they tick themselves up and they pat themselves up on the back each day and say to themselves, well, I did a good thing. When they are harming more people and contributing to harm and the trauma that these people are experiencing. And Antonio is an example of, he is not the cause, but he is an effect mm-hmm. of a long culture of just hate and, and 
disinterest in those people who take up those spaces, that they don't matter, that they're disposable, that they are all these negative connotations and they don't matter. And the fact of the matter is he went to these women and just said to himself, like, I just felt like it. It's just what happened. A direct quote is it just happened. It just happened. Like, it just happened that he just found these women and he felt they didn't matter. He could snuff them out by any means. And he didn't even have this care to say, but let me cover up my tricks because I think in the back of his mind, there was some understanding that people don't care about these women. No, they're like the, like I said, the throwaways of society. And I think you summed it up nicely. Like you are born into this world and you matter, you're a human. And that should just be it. And what, I mean, we can go into rape culture and all of those types of things, victim blaming, victim shaming. But at the end of the day, if you're a human being, you you matter and you have a purpose. And we, and like I said, we don't know what these women and men have been through in their lives. We don't know a lot of like people from the LGBTQIA community, um, they come out to their parents and their parents kick them out and then they have no other way of surviving. And a lot of the times people, sex workers are just trying to survive. And I, th- I can personally relate to that. I'm just trying to make it to my next paycheck <laughs> half the time. I'm just trying to make it to, to the next week or to the next two weeks. Um, I'm thankful that my circumstances are different that I don't have to resort to those things, but we have to keep in mind that everybody's lives, everybody's, experiences everybody's circumstances are different and just because they are different doesn't make someone invalid and it doesn't make them less of a person because we all we all have our stuff we all got our vices whether it's shopping or smoking weed or drinking or eating too much we all have our thing and I think if we can look at each other in a more human light and to 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 relate to each other on that level of like hey you put your pants on one leg at a time, just like I do mine. Mm-hmm. I think that we could we could have a better society and be more united. Mm-hmm. But it's a shame that he felt like these people didn't matter. These women didn't matter to the point where he could just do what he wanted. And mm-hmm. for, a, for a minute, he got away with it. Unchecked. Unchecked. And the, and the police... Who, who I know for a fact get away with things like this every single day because once again, no one's going to miss them. No one's going to care. But I'm glad that their families, at least some of their families are saying like, no, we do care. They do matter. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're here to say that they were a person who was loved, who, you know, despite their circumstances, Despite a person's current, present circumstances, there I believe there's always room for a better future. Yeah. But they didn't get that chance. Yeah. And my whole thing is if we decriminalize sex work, mm-hmm. we would exactly. definitely have better protections out there. One, we would definitely save like a lot of women, like the course from going into getting a pimp. We would definitely have a less disease running rampant because there will be regulation. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like we we need a regulated society in a sense where like we say that this is decriminalized because we we need to look at this as this is just work. This is just what you do. Like a person enjoys this type of situation. What they do sneakily, whatever behind the scenes is what they do. And you get paid for that. That's just that's just what your job is and your occupation. And we need to see it as such and move on. And we need to have maybe freaking, I don't know, like who would look over it would be OSHA. You have OSHA coming up in there and be like, wait, we need to clean up the L. It's a little dirty around here on the streets. Like, <laughs> this is these ladies' work environment, and this is not fit conditions for them to be working. And, you know, like, we can, like, we can go into so many different things that could change the circumstances, but it just takes for people to care. You find these, these three women, and these are just the named 
and and the faces of the named and the and these and these women they got they got their story out there but there are so many women's mm-hmm. stories that just go untold that they are left to the streets and they are forgotten about until like I, one of the things that disturbs me the most about our society is that you have people that are filming people in Kensington going through the darkest moments in their life and they are just like oh this is so sad but what are you directly doing that is changing the circumstance of this person that is experiencing maybe withdrawal symptom, uh, uh, symptoms or going through a high? Like, what are you actually doing besides trying to make fun of them, trying to shame them in some way for going through this? This is a dark moment in their life that could be just a moment. Are you providing them resources? Are you getting them help? No, you're you're pointing the finger, you're leaving room for the unthinkable to happen. Because you point your finger, you are, you are the example of the dehumanization that goes mm-hmm. on. These are not freaking animals at the zoo. And even animals at the zoo, gonna say. Quorum. Like you also roll up to a lion and jump Would in never. closure. Like you have some decorum. You have some respect for this being because of how they how they present themselves. But like, like you said, you would never roll up on a lion, like, ugh, like, ill. No, like, you have right, some right. awareness and some respect for an animal, even. Right. Like, you just don't do that. Like, and, and then you look at these people, and then, like, and then you also see the other stories where you see people that come out of their addiction and on the other side of the addiction, and they look at these people as the examples, and it's just like, this takes a while to get here. Yes. This can be someone, yes, like you seeing this person at this point in their lives, but there's other also things that go into addiction. For example, one of the other things is it's not as simple as, oh, you just get off these drugs. One of the things that happens in Kensington is the methadone clinics that are located in Kensington. The people that are addicted to very hardcore drugs cannot simply just get off of them or they could die from heart complications. So they need to get on methadone in order to regulate them to get off. But many people do not ever get off methadone. They are consistently on methadone. Yeah. Uh, and you you find that, that, they, that they need that it's a lot there's a lot of medical things like for example somebody could be years into an addiction and suffer a massive heart attack or have um a collapsed lung because it's not just as simple as oh you're just clean and that just means you wipe away your body has now went through trauma and it will keep track and a lot of the times it will catch up to you you might be starting to do them drugs in your teens and then you finally get clean and then you hit about 45 Mm. you like how I get how I get this I, I don't know how I have liver issues and kidney failure and and then COPD when I've never had a history of lung issues them drugs catch up to you right and then you're dealing also if you're pros- with prostitution or even just regular sex with people it's just like you know you could get STD to SCI mm-hmm. like you STDs to SCI I know under- I understand that many people just think like you take a pill you're fine but actually, you can have some lingering effects if it's untreated, like for a period of time. And I can't. Like, first of all, one of the things that's very common in Kensington is hepatitis. Mm-hmm. Um, hepatitis, like people think we get these vaccines when we're younger, but like hepatitis A is pretty common there. Um, Hep C is very common. Um, there's also outbreaks of chlamydia, gonorrhea, chlamydia, shoot, syphilis. Um, chlamydia is also one of those things if bone untreated it can eat at your brain like that is just yeah it, in combination can, with drugs in too. combination with drugs so like you can go through early alzheimer and dementia um because of this um one of the things is also when you're in this lifestyle people harm you they want to rob you they want to hurt you and it's it, it's kind of just like these tick marks that you just take in with the game of like not only are you dealing with addiction, but when you're doing prostitution and then people don't care about you, you are just being victimized and victimized and victimized and victimized. Like, and guess what? That victimization then feeds the addiction because you're just trying to cope. And what people don't realize is some, I'm going to say some of the people who are out there have mental health issues. A lot of people that I come in contact with who have are either currently in addiction or they have 
they are in recovery from addiction are self-medicating things like uh, illnesses like schizophrenia if you are seeing and hearing things and you're not you don't have like the the resources or the information to say like hey i should go talk to somebody because this could be something like schizophrenia you might go out and try to quiet those voices in your head and try to quiet the little purple bunnies that you see running across the street that you think you see mm-hmm. you might go out and be like yo okay i know if i do this drug i might i'm not going to see or hear these things Right. So we have to keep in mind, there's so many layers to addiction. There's so many layers to sex work. There's so many layers to the people that we see out in Kensington. And we have to be aware. We have to be fair. And we have to be mindful of like, everybody's situation is different. Some people just get caught up. Like I said, some people have trauma. Some people have unmanaged, unchecked mental health issues that they're just trying to to cope with. and we can't be judgy because who are we to judge? Like I said, we all got our stuff. We all have our vices. We all have things that we struggle with, whether it be your weight or your weed. Like you, we all have, we all have our, our issues and our problems. So Mm. I would just like encourage people to do your research, find more information, like, and don't, don't be so quick to judge because uh, we all have been people pointing a finger like, oh my God, look at these people. How could they get to this point? And honestly, Kensington has gotten worse. And mm. for the people who are posting them on YouTube and making money, again, what are you doing to help the problem? Are your, are the profits that you're making you going and giving them money for food? Are you mm. investing in drug rehab programs or mental health programs no what are you doing they're just filming it they're just filming it's a joke to them it's all fun and games because it's so easy to point at and well at least i ain't there like i got my shit with me but at least i ain't there at least i'm not on drugs but you could be and and the crazy part about it is through a certain set of circumstances your life could have gotten you there and I know you like to look at that situation. A lot of people like to look at it. Well, I'm not there because I did not make that choice. No, 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 baby. Sometimes your choices make you. And another thing that can happen also when you're talking about like schizophrenia, like and stuff and like mental health things, there is things called drug-induced psychosis mm-hmm. that happen that where people like through the addiction, it can just click on a button that may have never wanted to be clicked on. And it lays dormant and that can happen so that's another whole thing like this first of all some of y'all can be out here on these streets after just smoking weed with somebody who puts something in your weed hello so, so don't think just because you smoke a little weed that you are free from the situation like you can be in a situation where somebody flips you something and you can really be just going for going so don't think that you're so above it and drugs ain't drugs these days. We've seen so many people, especially everything that's been laced with fentanyl lately. Yeah, we drugs with the fentanyl conversation at some point because fentanyl is ooh. it's it's wiping people out. Pills ain't pills no more. Weed ain't just regular weed no more. Like you really have to be careful of the things you do. And like you were saying, like okay, some people be like, I just smoke my little weed and I'm out my business. I'm not out here strung out on heroin. But like you said, one different decision, one life circumstance, we all like a few life circumstances away from being out there with them. Mm -hmm. So I, on my end, I'm going to continue to pray for those people and hope that their future is brighter than their present because it's it's a dark place out there. I've been out there as far as like visiting in the area. Mm -hmm. I've been on the L <laughs> getting off at Kensington and Allegheny and it's way worse than when I was out there seeing whoever I was seeing. Like right. it's, it's like tent city out there. Like there are people living out there in tents and it's just really sad. So, and I'm going to say this, like one of the big things that when we talk about is getting worse out there, that is a, that is not by quinky dink. That is something that is kind of, no, no, it's actually a a big decision being made by po- politicians, police, and all of these people 
that have stakes in the game of gentrification. The purpose of it is, is to kind of get all of these people from different areas kind of pushed in into this one space. And are they gonna put these people into support systems, getting them connections to groups, getting them help? No, they're gonna lock them up. They are going to line the pockets of the prison system to get these women and men locked up for, for all types of small offenses or anything like that, even if they're victims of crimes. So it is very intentional what's happening in Kensington. Kensington is an area that is being allowed to eat itself from the inside out. <coughs> and the police are basically zookeepers, keeping the animals in and watching them just eat themselves. <coughs> I'm so sorry. And it's just so sad, like, what is going on there? And <coughs> I'm so sorry. Don't die. No, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, okay. So with that being said, we are going to list some resources. If you guys are looking for family members that are out there that have been going missing, please let us know because Kensington is known for that. It eats you at like people go missing from Jersey areas over and find themselves in Kensington doing drugs. So if you need help getting names out there, looking for people, we will definitely help you because we have the Instagram page and we have um, a Twitter. We can put their name and face out there and get the word out about you looking for your family member that may be affected by addiction and you're looking for them. Do not let these people go as names and numbers, guys. Um, I would like to say a rest in peace to the victims of the Kensington Triangular. Nicole Vecina, Casey Mahoney, and Miss Elaine Goldberg. All these women mattered and they are cared for. And Antonio Rodriguez needs to spend every bit of those three life sentences paying for what he did. All right, guys. I'd like to thank you for joining us this week for another episode of Crime at the Family Table. Like, like we said, find us on Instagram or on Twitter. Um, at Crime at the Family Pie, Crime at the Family Table, and we'll join you again next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh my God, you're joking today. <laughs>